Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am normally joined by the kid, the god, the legend, Jay King, but he is flying back from San Francisco, so it will be the Sam Jam Packard solo hour today, and we'll be discussing the Celtics getting absolutely shellacked. In game two of the NBA Finals, losing to the Golden State Warriors 107 to 88. Celtics fans, tell me if you've heard this before. The Celtics lost primarily due to their carelessness with the basketball. They had, I believe, 18 turnovers. Stat I saw last night the Celtics are 0 5 this postseason when they turn the ball. Over 16 times, they certainly did that tonight. They had seven in the first quarter, four in the second quarter for 11 in the first half. So many Warriors points off turnovers. And I think that's the story of the game is just the Celtics offensive ineptitude. Uh, Jason Tatum had 28 points, most of those coming from behind the arc. He was six of nine from three, which is a welcome sign for the Celtics. Nice to see him knocking down shots. But he only made two field goals inside the paint. Felt like the Warriors made an adjustment here where they weren't going to let, they weren't going to leave Derek White, uh, Al Horford, and Marcus Smart wide open and allow them to hit 15 threes. Those guys did not get those types of opportunities. Al Horford did not even attempt a three pointer. Marcus Smart was 0 for 3. Derek White, 2 for 4. They did leave uh, White open, I think, two times and he knocked him down. But it really felt like the Warriors taking a little bit of a page from the Heat, really up the ball pressure on the Celtics, um, started forcing them to make passes. They stayed home on shooters. And the Celtics did not respond well, just with a number of turnovers. Uh, I think four or five possessions where it just looked like Jason Tatum absolutely lost the basketball uh, going for drives. After the game, Ime Idoka said, the whole team, rather than trying to finish around the rim, was looking to draw fouls. Uh, feels like that comment was pretty well targeted at Jason Tatum, but not a great game for him, not a great game for the Celtics. I think the Celtics were 6 of 31 on kind of self-created baskets uh, inside the paint in that game. There's just If you look at their shot chart, so many missed uh, opportunities around the rim. It just didn't look like they were... Going up to finish strong, they were, it looked like they were all only looking to dump off the basketball. A number of just kind of sloppy passes in which uh, they're going for a dump off, but the defender was right there. 
I just didn't think they did a good job of attacking the mismatches. Um, we did not see a lot of Steph Curry on Jason Tatum. When we did, I thought Tatum did a good job of getting to the line. Uh, let's see how many free throws he had there. Six of eight. I still think he could have done a better job, but really a no-show performance from the rest of the team. Jalen Brown had a real quick, hot start. Uh, I think he scored eight points in the first couple of minutes. But after that, really nothing. He was five of 17 only scored 17 points. I think a huge story of this is Marcus Smart and Al Horford were just not, did not exist in this game. Um, I think we've seen this from Al Horford from time to time throughout the season, especially if he's not going to get the three point looks. Um, he's not going to be a focal point of the offense. He missed some, uh, some easy opportunities, I would say around the rim. He's just no, not like the classic Al Horford jump hook over the left shoulder. It's just not something. We've seen him be very effective here with this stint of the offense. The thing that's surprising to me is that Marcus Smart really just did not have a, a great game. He had a nice, like, kind of finishing layup early on with his left. Uh, and then after that, was we didn't really hear from him uh, other than him turning the ball over. Uh, he had five turnovers, um, but really nothing from him. And I think – one of the interesting things about this Celtics team in this uh, postseason run is as much kind of grief as Marcus Smart gets for, um, I guess, his decision making or sometimes the shots he takes, him driving the ball and him finishing around the rim has been a really steadying point for this Celtics offense at points during this or, uh, postseason. There's been a lot of games where it's just like him doing simple drives, beating his defender one on one has been the kind of the solution for the Celtics is something where they can just get easy baskets if it's not Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. And that was just nowhere to be seen tonight. I think the the Warriors said, look, we're not going to give up those three-point shots anymore. You're going to have to beat us. And the Celtics just were not good in the paint. They were not finishing strong. They, uh, like I said, looking for fouls. Hunting mismatches. I still, I like, they got Kevon Looney one-on-one a couple times, and I think they – the Celtics, I think, did a pretty good job of getting to the paint. It just felt like all of their decisions, once they got there, uh, they didn't do anything with confidence. They did not try to finish with confidence. Uh, and you would think that the Celtics, with, I mean, the Warriors with kind of a smaller defenders back there um, might be easier to finish over. But Draymond Green was, uh, you know, there's a reason people talk about him being the defensive player of the year before he got hurt this year. He's just a really, really smart defender, and I thought he did a pretty solid job on, on that Warriors back line. Um, the Celtics, despite not really playing well in the first half, only down two points despite those 11 turnovers. Like Their defense, I thought, was uh, pretty phenomenal in that first half. They did a, a – not phenomenal, but I, I, they just made uh, Steph Curry work, and obviously he did not get off of the same – first quarter that he did uh, in game one. But I thought the Celtics made, did a pretty solid job of making the, the Warriors work. And I think the Celtics should have been uh, up more. And certainly moving forward in the series, they're going to need to be up more if they're going to sustain a the Warriors third quarter. I mean, it's been ridiculous in these past two games, just what the Warriors have been able to do in third quarters. Uh, looking up on basketball reference right now, but my just the third quarter in game one and the third quarter in game two has just absolutely blown the Celtics away. Uh, this game, they scored 
the Warriors outscored the Celtics 35 to 14. And it just started almost immediately. And it just kept going from there. The Celtics kind of had one punch back where Grant Williams hit a three in the corner and followed up by a Jason Tatum three in the quarter. But immediately Otto Porter answered. And then, boom, the last four minutes of that third quarter, the Celtics didn't even hit a field goal. They uh, only got points from Jason Tatum getting to the foul line, only 14 points from them in that third quarter. And just it's something we've seen with the Celtics the entire year. Their defense is not as effective if they have to be playing in transition. It's much harder to track down Steph Curry if everything's happening in transition. And the Celtics need to set their defense. They need to get offense. And I thought the Warriors just did a much better job of, of ratcheting up the defensive intensity. I thought the return of Gary Payton, the second, was pretty big for them because he's just a very solid defensive player. And the Warriors went to what I, I think is their best lineup right now. Steph Curry, Gary Payton, Andrew Wiggins, Otto Porter, and Draymond Green. I think that just gives them kind of the most versatility, uh, the best uh, kind of guys who can switch on everything. And there's no real defensive weak point there. And I think they just made it uh, especially difficult for the Celtics to get buckets there. Um, And then Jordan Poole just hits a 39-footer to end the quarter uh, right there. I mean, the, the ball game was, it was over uh, before that shot, but the pool hitting in that shot absolutely kind of destroyed the Celtics. They were down by 23 heading into the fourth. The Warriors ended that quarter on a 19 to two run, which uh, there's just no way for the Celtics to recover from that. I think generally uh, the Celtics defense did a, a decent job. Um, Early in that game uh, on defending Curry, obviously there's going to be some slip-ups. I mean, he's Steph Curry. He's the best shooter uh, in the world. I think there have to be some improvements um, just on basic pick-and-roll coverages. Uh, There were a couple of times when it was just basic Steph pick-and-roll, and and the guy was not there to uh, step up and put a hand in Curry's face, and you can't let – Steph Curry just kind of walk into uh, three-pointers. Some would say he's quite good at hitting those. He was 5 of 12 from the field from three. He scored 29 points, basically did not play in the fourth quarter. Other than that, the Warriors did a pretty good job of spreading the ball around. Klay Thompson really struggled in this game. Andrew Wiggins hit some a couple threes. Draymond was only took three shots, which I think is a definite win for them. But I thought the Celtics' defense was strong. It's just they just kept digging themselves a hole either by turning the ball over or missing shots. And this series is going to be a lot different than the Miami Heat series and the Milwaukee Bucks series. In those, I thought the Celtics, they only had to not turn the ball over and they would win the game because those offenses, the Bucks is pretty much just only had Giannis and they were struggling to get 90 points. The Heat basically only had Jimmy Butler, and otherwise, if they uh, were struggling to get to 100 points, and if the Celtics just didn't turn the ball over, they could waltz into a win. There was a couple victories in that Eastern Conference Finals where the Celtics, I think, shot under 40% and still won or still beat the Heat because just their uh, their defense was so dominant. The Warriors are going to be a different story. They have Steph Curry. They're not. They're always going to be explosive offense. They're always going to be able to score points. 
And so the Celtics need to not only not turn over the ball, they need to make shots and they need to get back and set their defense. And then they need to play 48 minutes of, of great defense to really figure out uh, this Warriors team. With all that being said, Celtics took back home court advantage. That's the positive spin on this game. If you are a Celtics fan like I am, they took back home court. They won game one. They got the split. They're headed back to Boston 1-1. It's kind of what you would have expected here uh, if you were a Celtics fan, what you would have wanted. Just so happens they got that game one victory. I mean, the Celtics have responded well to losses. They've not lost two games in a row in in this playoffs, and they generally uh, do not show up uh, as well after a win. And so after kind of that blitzkrieg in game one in the fourth quarter, kind of expect this performance from the from the Celtics. Obviously nothing this bad. Obviously kind of a not a, a no-show from everyone not named Jason Tatum. But the Celtics got the split. It's going to be interesting to see what adjustments the Celtics have moving forward. One adjustment I might suggest, but it's a little difficult. No more Daniel Tice. I'm the biggest Tice guy there is. Good old Danny Two Blocks, as we call him. But it's just not working when he is out there and Peyton Pritchard's out there. I think he's a very serviceable backup big man. But he's just not really the answer. He's such a non-threat on offense. You can basically not guard him whatsoever. He doesn't give you the shooting that Horford gives you. He doesn't give you the shooting or the, the defense or the lob threat that Robert Williams gives you. I was surprised to see him get a stint there in the, the second half after kind of an unsuccessful one in the, in the first half. Um, I think the issue is they're just trying to find minutes when Robert Williams uh, just to, he, he does not look fully healthy. He's still effective, I think uh, in protecting the rim, but he's just not someone you want to switch out on the perimeter. Also, I think the two big lineups with Horford and Williams have not been that effective just because of the Warriors, um, just because of their personnel. Uh, I think we saw in games one and two, when you have both two bigs on there, it just makes it, uh, you kind of end up with a situation where Horford has to guard Clay Thompson or someone of his ilk on the perimeter. And it's just really hard to, for Horford to like get over screens to try and get that Clay Thompson three. I think we saw him knock down those shots. The Celtics need to find an answer to kind of survive those non-Robert Williams minutes. You can't play Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Derek White for 48 minutes. Like, I don't know if the, if the solution is maybe starting small, maybe starting Grant Williams. Grant has not been, I would say, great in this series so far, and maybe this is not the series for him. But maybe starting him and just so Robert Williams and uh, Al Horford can kind of split all 48 minutes at the center position and just go in for a smaller lineup the entire time may be an adjustment for the Celtics. But I just know that I don't want to see any more minutes of Daniel Tice out there. It's just uh, feels like an automatic loss there for the Celtics. I do want to hear from you guys. Anyone here in the athletic live room, feel free to raise your hand. I'll try to get to as many people as possible. Um, uh, before we do so, one more point. I'm sure Celtics fans are screaming at me right now for not bringing up the referees. Um, there was some clear 
clear shenanigans on the part of Draymond Green. He it felt like he pre-planned it. He has had a tweet about like shouting out how great of a commissioner uh, Adam Silver was, and then he was just being Draymond Green. He got into it with Jason Tatum. He got into it with Jalen Brown. He picked up a tech. Now, I think I'm going to be the minority in the Celtics camp. I don't think Draymond Green should have got a second technical and should have been ejected. Uh, yes, he pulled, like, put his feet in Jalen Brown's face. Yes, he almost pantsed him. Maybe if he fully pantsed him, I say give him that second tech. But, uh, it's the NBA Finals. I think we've already seen an NBA Finals marred by the uh, unjust ejection from Draymond Green. You're absolutely right. It's selective enforcement. It's Jeff Van Gundy arguing against himself in the same rant. Uh, saying that he doesn't like selective enforcement, but then also likes the decision in that game. I just don't think it was really enough to do, like to kick him out of the game. Um, I agree that he probably shouldn't get it away with kind of more conduct or be allowed to do more stuff if he has his first technical. But I don't know. I just don't like the idea of kicking stars out of the game um, in an NBA Finals or p- perhaps swinging a game like that. I understand it's frustrating. I understand that it's not a just uh, kind of assessment or how things should be called. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I, I agree with like, you can't, I just don't think you can kick Draymond Green out of there. Maybe I, I'm in the minority. Maybe you guys can raise your hand and tell me uh, I'm an idiot, but I just don't think it was uh, necessarily uh, an egregious call. You don't kick stars out of, of the NBA finals. With that being said, I thought the Celtics got a tough whistle, certainly in the first half of the, that game. Uh, that Jalen Brown call uh, on Gary Payton, where he absolutely did not touch him. And it was called basically just because uh, Gary Payton, you know, it was his first time going up for a layup after Dylan Brooks uh, abused his shoulder. Like that was absolutely ridiculous. I think there's just some real ticky tack calls on the Celtics, especially in the first half calls that I just don't think they got on the other end. I don't think that was the reason the Celtics lost this game. Um, I think it was more to have to do with the 18 turnovers and the inability to hit a two point shot or the fact that they shot 37% from the field, but um, it wasn't the best whistle for the Celtics, but again, they can't let that get into their heads. I did love after the game or during the game, I loved it when Ime Idoka got a tech for himself. And he said after the game that that was his entire purpose uh, to get a tech to show his displeasure, uh, his exact quote. And the way the pauses were key, he said, I just let them know how I felt throughout the game in a demonstrative way on purpose to get a technical. And I was like, oh, man, Ime's a hardo and I love that guy. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right. I think that's covered all my notes. Um, let's go to the phone lines now and start with Jonathan R. Jonathan, how are you doing? My man, uh, for the defense, it's like you're in law school or something with that horseshit uh, uh, ref defense. What is going on with you, <laughs> Come on now. Innocent till proven guilty, my friend. Innocent till proven guilty. Oh, yeah. the- all right. Well, look, I actually agree with most of what you're saying. I don't disagree on the. I don't fully agree on the technical thing. I, I challenge the premise that Draymond is a star. Uh, but, uh, I, I mean, he is his personality, which I think is different. Um, I, I don't. I think he's like a six nine Kyle Lowry who just mucks up the game and does a lot of stuff that isn't basketball, and it's really awful to watch. I think it's bad for the game. That being said, that being said. That should not have been the reason they lost the game. It clearly just got in their head, and then all of a sudden they can't do, oh, I'm going to be in the paint, and uh, I can't even do a one-foot pass, let alone the uh, six- or ten-feet passes that will get picked off in the Miami Heat series. Constantly. The, the crazy dump-offs are getting stolen. They, they were so discombobulated. But you've already touched on the refs, so I don't have a whole lot to add. I just had to stay on and say, look, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you trying to make sense of the awful game. But uh, if there's one place we can agree, for sure, is that even my wife doesn't want some Danny Tyson. We love that guy, but come on. It, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. But anyway, have a wonderful day. And I think you need to study up on some, uh, <laughs> whatever, take a, take a course on uh, ref mismanagement or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I appreciate the call, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, I most people are going to disagree with me, especially if you're Celtics fans. Like, I don't agree with the tech thing. That being said, there are some clips going around right now of, like, the Draymond Green basically playing offensive line slash middle linebacker, just, like, running through Grant Williams. They called a foul on Grant for that. Some of the just bowling through people for screens to get – um Steph Curry open shots that I would say there's legitimate beef. I just don't think that uh, like he just clearly came with more physicality. And I think the, all of the warriors came with more physicality. And it definitely that's something that the Celtics have struggled with this entire postseason. Um, 
the Bucks picked up full court and we saw kind of every other game the Celtics would deal turnovers there. Miami Heat did the same thing. Kyle Lowry certainly tried his hand at shenanigans. Um, Draymond Green, also uh, a known shenanigans doer, uh, I believe is the correct legal phrase. Uh, the Celtics need to respond better. And you know what? They have a shenanigans guy of their own and Marcus Smart, who pretty much was not here, uh, did not show up to game two. He made some plays on the defensive end. I thought he like, got a nice strip on Draymond in the corner, and then he was called for a foul. Um, they just need to match the intensity uh, of the Warriors and um, and doing so, not necessarily being as physical, but resp- like not responding to their that physicality with turnovers uh, and just not giving the ball up uh, is the key for the Celtics, as it's been the entire postseason. All right, Joshua B., lay it on me. What's going on? Um, so, yeah. We we definitely disagree on the refs. We disagree on the refs primarily because this isn't an innocent until proven guilty situation. This isn't a guilty until proven innocent. The situation. burden of proof is on the state, Joshua B. The, uh, no, not in this particular <laughs> case. I seem to remember a viral video of a Boston Celtics fan asking Tony Brothers in the Miami series if there was going to be a, a fair game. And lo and behold, there wasn't. And then in the in the Milwaukee series, when we had Tony Brothers and Mike Zaruba, what a coincidence. We lost that game, too, on questionable officiating. So now when Draymond Green decides that he's going to back into Jalen Brown, land on top of him, get under him, and then put his feet on top of Jalen Brown. Oh, and by the way, when Jalen Brown is getting up, he gets shoved in the back by Draymond Green. And then when he's standing above him, he almost gets pants by Jalen Green. But no, 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 no. None of that amounts to a second tackle foul. That That's all. That's all circumstantial. No, it isn't. That's do you think? Green being do you think? Do you think if he got the shorts fully to the ankles, it would have been a tech? I think that it should have been a tech without getting the shorts to the ankles when you're shoving someone in the back as they're trying to stand up. That's the technical foul. Once you decide to pants him, yeah, I think you should maybe <laughs> get three and get marred by an agitator not being into not being allowed to be in the next game. But neither here nor there. I don't consider Draymond Green a superstar. I'd be shocked if anybody considers Draymond Green a superstar. Not really the point. Um, The point is that what we've seen in the Celtics' entire postseason run is exactly what you're saying, which is that when we don't take care of the ball, what a surprise. We get turned over, whether it's the third quarter of the um, Miami game or whether it's this quarter, right? Our shooters, specifically Grant Williams, um, need to start making these decisions immediately. Look at Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is the perfect example. When he dribbles the ball, when he tries to make all of these different moves, you know, it's always an effort, right? But when he catches and shoots, well, then all of a sudden we're in a different game, right? Clay Thompson is fantastic on the catch and shoot. Grant Williams, by the way, same kind of thing. All we need to get back in this series, you're going to love it because it's only one play. We need one play. The play is Al Horford jumping up, doing a dunk, and then punching Draymond Green in the face on the way down the same way he did Giannis. That's what we need. And that toughness element, that toughness of somebody's trying to bully you, you need to bully him back, that's what this is about. This is the finals. This is why you play the game unless you're Andre Iguodala and you're ruled out for the series. This is what you're here for. Robert Williams played 12 minutes and in the game. He'll be healthier next game, right? If he's going to miss a game, it's going to be game four. But no, the Celtics have a full seven games to come back. And my question to you, 
um, is do you take away anything at all from the idea that the Celtics only had one starter, a grand total of one, play over 30 minutes, and that would be Jason Tatum. Everybody else, under 30 minutes, which is the lowest I think the starters have played all playoffs unless they've missed a game. I mean, does that count for anything? The fact that we, you know, only had, I mean, Derek White, I guess, had 30 minutes, but I'm looking at it. Grant Williams, 20. Peyton Pritchard, 18. Daniel Price, 14. Aaron Neesmith, 10. I mean, doesn't it count for a team who has been in two seven-game series back-to-back to have extra rest for their starters or no it's okay to say no i'm i'm i've been wrong before i'll be wrong again but i don't think i'm wrong on that well i appreciate the question josh uh i think it's helpful only in the case of al horford i think he's looked energetic with the more rest that he has and um just like his ability to play Defense, it could be helpful there. There is more ga- uh, days between all of these games, and so it uh, could be helpful for there. Robert Williams only playing 14 minutes could be helpful for his knee. I don't know what flying does to inflammation there, but um, who knows? Maybe it, maybe it helps out Marcus Smart, who still presumably has a bummed, uh, sprained ankle. Let me tell you, I rolled my ankle playing pickup on Saturday. It's incredibly painful, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to kind of wait, and uh, I can't fathom how much pain Marcus Smart's in. I don't know how much of the rest uh, really will factor in. Maybe the embarrassment of not playing the fourth quarter will help the Celtics uh, kind of match that physicality, match that toughness, uh, but uh, I'm not sure on that point. It's really, uh, like, I would expect the Celtics to come out in game three and play just a lot better because that's what they've done all postseason. They've responded very well to a loss, but we shall see. It's going to be a fascinating finals. I think this is a long series, six or seven games, and I think the Celtics have the uh, ability to kind of definitely take down these Warriors, but I think a lot of the jubilation after game one was an overreaction. I think a lot of the, the dread after game two is also going to be an overreaction. It's not, I think it's going to be a back and forth series. The Celtics did take back home court, but they also haven't been very good at home this series. There were a lot of losses uh, coming uh, to the Bucks and the Heat. So it's not necessarily, uh, although the Garden will be rocking, I don't know if it's necessarily a huge home court advantage uh, as much as you would normally think. All right, Jeremy P., let's hear from you. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Sam. Um, appreciate it. Just want to start off the top. I'm a neutral observer, not a Celtics fan, not a Warriors fan. But the thing with Draymond is just the incredible double standard that that he gets away with. And I understand the NBA, the 2022 NBA Finals is not the time to rectify uh, that double standard. But, um, you know, it's just getting it to be played out on this stage is just, you know, that it gets magnified. So it's almost like the first technical is an automatic these days for Draymond. So it's like, get that out of the way and then see, you know, you can just keep, keep going to that line. And if the referees are not going to punish you with that second technical, then, you know, there's, there's no limit to the things that you can get away with. And I think that's where we're at um, at this point with Draymond. I mean, it's, uh, I can understand completely why Celtics fans are, are, are livid about what happened. And, and like I said, it's not going to get um, 
that won't get fixed in this finals. So that's going to be the same double standard that will go throughout these games. But something's got to happen with Draymond because there's like his standard and there's a standard for every other player in the league. And it's ridiculous at this point. Thanks for Thanks. the call, Jeremy. I, I mean, I completely agree. Draymond gets away with like screaming at the refs in a way that is just like not similar to any other player in the NBA. Um, he basically lets them hear it demonstrably every single time. And it's the type of thing. It's like, well, they can't call everything. Uh, not a bad strategy there for Draymond. He certainly established this uh, scenario where he has a lot more leeway. I think with the refs, I think he also, it kind of works against him in terms of like calls that are reviewed for flagrant calls. It didn't uh, kind of happen in game one because he already picked up a tech. Um, I think he got kicked out of that Memphis series. I don't remember the exact call, but it just feels like he simultaneously has a target on his back because he's Draymond Green and then also has more leeway for kind of the lesser stuff because he's Draymond Green and because he's going to let it hear about it. That being said, he was... Did some roughhousing, engaged in some real roughhousing in game two. Stuff the Celtics will have to respond to. Grant Williams, who uh, was jawing at him the entire time, Draymond Green calling him a bozo. Very interesting because before the finals, Grant Williams said that like while at Tennessee, he was a huge Draymond Green fan. Um, I think the Celtics are going to have to respond with their own physicality, their own kind of uh, like enforcer type, Marcus Smarts, that type of guy who – Similarly, complains to the refs every single time. Jason Tatum complains to the refs a lot, um, but that doesn't seem to have as much leeway. But it's going to be very interesting to see how both teams deal with that moving forward. All right, uh, Daniel B., thanks for joining here on Anything is Potable. How are you doing? Hello, how are you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm speaking from Brazil. I'm a Brazilian Celtics fan. Awesome. And, awesome. and uh, I just wanted to ask about Jordan Poole game. Uh, I have a feeling that, okay, he hit some crazy daggers, like the, the two on the end of the third quarter. But for me, I think he, he wasn't having like a huge game, like a very good game before that. I think he was getting blocked a lot. And what, what do you think it's the reaction for Poole uh, from both sides, like from Celtics side for next game? And also uh, from the Warriors side, do you think they play him more? Do you think that this crazy shots he hit maybe gets him going a little bit more? Maybe he has a better game next game? Or do you think, like, how, how do you think it's going to play out this in the next game? And thank you. Thank, thanks for the podcast. I, I've been listening for a long time and uh, it was nice to participate in this one. Well, thanks, Daniel. Um, I think Jordan Poole is a very interesting player in this series. I agree before that kind of that dagger three-pointer at the end of the quarter. I didn't think Jordan Poole was having uh, a huge game. It didn't like have a huge contribution for the Warriors. He finished the game with 17 points with the majority of those. Uh, yeah, eight of them coming in the fourth quarter when the game is kind of already out of reach in the first half, he only had, what is it? Three points, one of five shooting. Uh, I think the win for the warriors in this regard is maybe you get pool going a little bit. Yes. He hit that crazy shot that maybe gives him some confidence, but 
he was not targeted on defense uh, like he was in the first quarter. And playing him with Steph Curry did not turn out to be the kind of uh, bad defensive lineup that I think it was for this Warriors in game one. I think the Kerr adjusted the rotations a bit where it felt like Poole got the majority of his minutes with Curry on the bench. And they really put a lot of shooting around Jordan Poole to try to get him going. But you're right. I didn't think he made the best decisions. He got blocked a couple of times, uh, either by Jalen Brown or Derek White. Derek White, by the way, my God, this guy's good at defense. He's just, I think, I don't know if if starting Derek White is necessarily the answer, um, because I think you need to kind of have someone on the bench to kind of work in the rotation. But he's going to continue to play over 30 minutes a game because he's been really phenomenal. I think, I don't know what the answer is for uh, Jordan Poole. I think he gets more minutes uh, or gets more opportunities, certainly when Steph is on the bench. I think the real question for the Warriors is what do they do about Klay Thompson? Because he has not been good. He does not look athletic. It feels like any time Klay Thompson is taking a shot that's not a three, like uh, him coming around and catch and shoot three, I think that's a win for the Celtics. He just doesn't seem to have the same game uh, the same impact right now. In the first half, he was a minus 11 for the Warriors in his 15 minutes. <clears throat> I just don't think he's looked great. Um, like I said, I think the Warriors' best lineup at this point is Draymond, Steph, Wiggins, Gary Payton II, and Otto Porter Jr. Uh, that just feels like that's their best two-way lineup, and it's going to be interesting to see if they roll that out. Kevon Looney did not do as much uh, on the offensive boards, but he's still a pretty solid figure tonight and had a lot of points just on those easy dump-offs. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what the adjustments are heading into Game 3. Uh, I will certainly be here to talk about it. Appreciate everyone out there listening live on the Athletic app or anyone who's listening to the live on the podcast. Uh, really do appreciate it. Uh, thanks, you guys, for listening. If you enjoy the show, please give it a five-star review on podcasts. If you want to listen, or join live to subscribe to The Athletic and get all the great writing from all the athletic reporters, such as Jay King for the Celtics perspective or Anthony Slater from the Warriors perspective. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll join you after game three. Anything is potable. Anything is potable. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 